Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast. Helping you invest in property for freedom, choice and profit. You'll learn new, innovative and multiple streams of property income. Whether you want to start, scale or systemize. And even if you don't have deposits. Hi, I'm Peter Jones, Charter Surveyor, Author and Property Investor. And this is the Progressive Property Podcast. Now, I had a question in from James, and I think James might have done Masterclass, but I'm not entirely sure. The name definitely rings a bell, so maybe I've seen you on the Facebook group. I'm not sure, James. But anyway, whatever. Thank you very much for the question, because the question is all about raising money and using JVs. And I thought this would be a great thing to talk about, particularly as this episode is likely to come out early in the new year. And one of the things which we should have set as one of our goals, I'm sure, if we're being serious about property, is making sure that we have access to funds so that when we come across that perfect deal, by the way, perfect deals don't exist, but there are usually very good deals out there, then we're ready to jump on it and we can buy it. So I thought it'd be great to look at James's question and perhaps go a little bit deeper into JVs and raising finance. So hopefully that's all good with you. So let me just read out James's question just to sort of set the scene. He says, Peter, trust you are well and loving the podcasts. Thank you, James. Good to hear. Wonder if you can help in raising finances. Do you know of any solicitors who can arrange a contract to give the lender of the finance some security and confidence that I'm not going to or legally can't take all of their money and run away with it? Do they have a floating charge on the property? Would you have a sample agreement you can forward to myself? Grateful if you can assist in any way. So there's a lot of stuff to unpack there. So let's start going through this point by point. And the first thing which James is thinking about is obviously giving security to a lender. So James is thinking about borrowing the money as opposed to being the lender and lending the money out. And he's wondering how to give the lender security and how to make the lender feel comfortable with lending in the money, which is a great idea. Now, If you've ever been on the two-day JV course, which we run at Progressive, then you'll know that one of the key things you must do when you're thinking about doing a JV and when you're thinking about raising finance is to take the time to get to know the lender so that you can understand exactly what it is that the lender wants from you. Because something which I think we don't appreciate is that everybody has a different view on this. Now, I see this time and time again. You can talk about any aspect of property. And it doesn't matter what it is, but we tend to think that whatever we think or whatever we feel is what everybody else is going to think or feel. And it just is not the case. There's multiple personality types. And in fact, one of the things which we study when you come on Masterclass is all about the different personality types. Why? For exactly this reason, so that you know how to approach a JV partner and how to get the best deal with them. So you need to sit down with your JV partner and you need to understand what is important to them in a JV. So, for example, I was with a colleague of mine the other day who's negotiating a JV, and I realised that actually, rather than negotiating the JV, he was just telling his the, the, the JV partner exactly what terms he was prepared to give them. And I could understand why he was doing that. He was sat there saying, well, this is the rate of return I'm going to give you on the money. This is the security I'm going to give you in the venture. This is the documentation I'm going to produce. And on the face of it, that all seems very sensible. It all seems very good because you think, yeah, well, that that makes sense. 
But the thing is this, he didn't take the time to actually ask the lender what they wanted. And I'm pretty sure that he could probably have negotiated a better rate of interest that he's going to pay, because I suspect that the lender would have lent him the money at a lower rate of interest. Now, I'm not suggesting anything underhand here. I'm not talking about taking you know advantage of people or being manipulative. But if he just said to them, what rate of interest would you like? What rate of interest would make this JV work for you? I reckon they would have probably given him maybe as much as 5% less than the amount that he actually offered them. Could have saved him a lot of money, and yet they would still have been happy because that's what they wanted. Similarly, he was offering them all types of security, not just on the property itself, which was the, the sort of the subject matter of the JV, but he was offering them security on all sorts of other properties. And I'm not convinced that if he'd asked them, what do you need to make this JV work for you, that they'd have been asking for necessarily security against the property. Now, it depends on what sort of JV you're doing. It depends what sort of JV partner you're working with as to whether they're going to want security against the property or what, what even what type of security they want against the property. But he was offering second charges on other properties that he owned. And I don't think he needed to do that. I think actually it made the whole thing very complicated. And if he was dealing with a JV partner who is relatively inexperienced, then I think the whole thing could have fallen to pieces. So you need to be very, very careful about assuming that you know what they need and want. Ask them what they need and want and then structure the deal accordingly. When you've done that, then you can perhaps put together a form of words, usually as bullet points, we call them heads of terms, I guess is the, the technical phrase, which you can then send across to a solicitor and a solicitor can then put it in a form of words which makes sense for the parties and which gives legal protection. Now, again, a lot of this all comes down to scale and degree. And we can think, well, you know, obviously we're going to need a solicitor to draw up a contract. We're going to need a contract. Is that always the case? Now, I'm a little bit sort of tentative about saying this because I realise that, you know, this sounds like I'm giving financial advice. Let me just be absolutely clear. I'm not giving financial advice and I'm not an IFA or an accountant. and I'm not qualified to give financial advice. But I can tell you the, what I've experienced when I've been doing JVs. And one thing I have experienced is that if the money is a relatively small amount of money that's changing hands, and if the JV partner is somebody who I know very well, then to be honest with you, I probably wouldn't necessarily go to the belt and braces approach, which James's question is implying he'd like to go to. Now, I think it's always important to have something in writing. Don't mishear me. But do you always need a solicitor to draw up the contract? Well, when you become more experienced and when you do more of this, if it's a small, simple deal, maybe you don't. Mm, I don't know. Does that make you feel uncomfortable? I've drawn up my own agreements, but then I've been in property long enough to know what it is I'm trying to get down on the piece of paper. If you don't feel confident doing that, then obviously go to a solicitor. But for example, if I was borrowing £5,000 off my mum to do a refurb, then you know I'm not going to go and get a 60-page contract from a solicitor. In fact, if I produced a piece of paper at all, which I probably would nowadays, it would really be for the benefit of my siblings, for my sister and my brother. So that if they ever said to mum, hey mum, what happened to your money? She can produce a bit of paper and say, it's, all, it's cool, I've lent a little bit to Peter. It's not a problem. So it's all about scale and degree. But that contract with my mother, and I'm doing air quotes here, if you could hear me, see me, you obviously can't see me, but if you, can you hear that? I'm doing them close to the mic. I'm doing air quotes because 
that contract is probably only going to be a paragraph on an A4 sheet of paper, which I've sort of done on my laptop. It doesn't necessarily have to be complicated. But obviously, if I was going to take, I don't know, all of my mum's money and uh, or, or all of my brother's money or all of my friend's money, or particularly if it was a large loan from somebody who I didn't know that well, and maybe it's the first time I'm doing a JV with them, then obviously I would get a solicitor involved and I would get a contract. So what sort of solicitor do, do we need to go to? Well, I would suggest that if you're listening to this, that you go on to the progressive Facebook group and ask who people are using. One thing which I really recommend you don't do, though, which is sort of jumping ahead to the last point that James made, where he said, do you have a sample agreement that you could forward to myself? And I would not do that. James, I would not send you a sample agreement. Why? For this simple reason, every JV is different. And I think that if you try and look for a sample agreement, you're going to tie yourself up in knots. I think it's much better to start with a blank piece of paper and to talk to your JV partner and to make bullet points, heads of terms, and discuss between the two of you or the three of you or the four of you, depending on how many JV partners there are, exactly what you want and what you want to get out of the JV and what the JV looks like to you and which bits are important to you. Because if I sent you a sample agreement, which I've used, that will probably highlight the bits which are important to me. They may not be the same bits that are important to you. And don't forget this, every JV is going to be different. So the JV agreement which I have, which we could use as a sample, specifically relates to a JV which I was doing, which is going to be completely different to the JV that you're doing. Stands to reason. No properties are the same. No partners are the same. Nobody's aspirations, wishes and dreams are the same. Nobody's goals are the same. Nobody's financial situation at the beginning is the same. So don't get yourself bogged down thinking that there's some kind of sample agreement. Now, I understand why, because many of us are kind of very, uh, what's the word, Uh, binary, I suppose. You know, particularly if we're technicians, we think something's either right or wrong. You know, it works or it doesn't work. It's like this or it's like that. But in property, that generally isn't the case because no property is the same. JV partners are different. You may be having different ways of financing it. You may be using different lenders to top up the funds. I don't know. There could be a million and one reasons why your JV doesn't look anything like my JV. So my JV documents are not really going to help you much better that you take a step back and work it all out for yourself. So certainly there are solicitors out there who can do this for you. But again, be careful. I would certainly shop around and get some quotes. I was doing a JV recently with somebody else. And because I was on the lending side and they were on the borrowing side, they took responsibility for paying for and producing the JV agreement. Obviously, I had to look through it and I made sure I was happy with it before I signed it. And their solicitor produced about 20 pages, of which about 18 pages were just standard terms and conditions, which they obviously stuck into every JV agreement. Only about two pages were pertinent, which made me think that somebody has spent an awful lot of money and haven't got an awful lot for their money. And the two pages which they did produce, in all honesty, I could probably have done that myself. Now, I wouldn't do it myself. Why wouldn't I do it myself? Because if anything did go wrong, and if there were any questions over the validity or the wording of the JV agreement, I don't want somebody coming to me and saying, hey, you messed it up. 
much better to be able to go to the solicitor. And if we needed to, I mean, it's a very rare thing. It's probably not going to happen ever in our lifetimes. But if we had to sue the solicitor because they'd worded the JV agreement in the wrong way, then obviously they're covered by professional indemnity insurance, which I wouldn't be. So better to get a third party to do it. But it made me realise, actually, you know, we can get blinded by science if we're not careful. At the end of the day, what's important? Well, what's important is getting down the main terms. So the main terms are going to be who are the parties? Who's the borrower? Who's the lender? What's the address of the property? Is the property going to be provided as security? Is any other security going to be provided? What are the terms of the deal? Is it a profit share? Or are you going to be paying somebody interest? In which case, how much is the profit going to be? Or how much is the interest going to be? What's the length of the term? For example, these are the main things which we need to have down and to be understood. Now, one of the things which we talk about on the two-day JV course, and by the way, if you haven't done that JV course, I suggest you do do it because it's a fantastic course. Two days learning how to raise finance. It's got to be good, isn't it? But one of the things which we talk about is when you're thinking about your JV agreement, think about all of the what-ifs. So think about that. This is, I mean, this is a horrible thing to think about before you go into a JV, but you know, we're all grown ups. We can do this. Think about the things which potentially could go wrong. Now, I'm not saying they will go wrong. Hopefully they won't go wrong. But if something did go wrong, what's the most likely thing? So who knows? I mean, as I'm recording this, there's still a lot of question marks about Brexit. When you listen to this, Brexit might all be sorted and we might have all forgotten that Brexit even happened. Who knows? But at the moment, there's a lot of uncertainty around Brexit and question marks as to whether that's going to impact the property market. So it could be, for example, that something like Brexit might cause property prices to dip for a bit. Now, if you were planning on financing a property or refinancing a property in order to be able to take money out to pay off your JV partner, but when you get there, you find you have a down valuation and you can't get the money, or you can't get all of the money, which is a more likely scenario, you're probably going to be able to get some, but you might not be able to get it all. What are you going to do about it? That could be a what if. So you could agree, what if this happens? What if I can't get all of the money back out? Well, Mr. JV partner or Mrs. JV partner, if I can't get all of the money back out, here's what we'll do. The loan will roll on for another year or 18 months or two years. And during that period, I'll pay you this amount of interest instead of that amount of interest whatever you want to agree. Or maybe at that point, if I can't pay you back, Mr. and Mrs. JV partner, maybe I'll give you a profit share. I don't know what it is. You'll have to sit down and talk to them. But if you think about the things that are possibly going to go wrong and make sure that those are in your heads of terms and make sure that the solicitor actually incorporates those into the JV agreement, frankly, that's going to be a lot more use to you than having 18 pages of standard terms and conditions which actually don't relate to your JV. So those are the things which I would be thinking about. Now, it's quite interesting. I just want to go into this point because James has said that he wants to produce a contract so that the lender has confidence that he's not going to run off with their money, either through malicious deceit or through legal means. And that's a very interesting point because I think obviously we want our lenders, if we're borrowing, to feel comfortable. And if that's what they ask for, then that's what we should give them. But one thing which I've always said about JVs, and this is just my opinion, and there may be other trainers in Progressive and other more experienced investors than myself may be out there who would say that they don't always agree with this. But I would be saying to myself, do you know what? 
if there isn't a basic level of trust, then I'm not sure that I want to do a JV with somebody anyway. Now, I know that's not quite the same thing because you can trust people, but things can happen which are beyond your control and beyond their control, which means that the JV doesn't quite work out as you wanted it to work out. But even so, if you're having to persuade somebody and twist their arm by showing them that you're not going to run off with the money, or if they think that you might run off with the money, then I probably want them to do a JV. A few years back, I was raising money and uh, I was going out to various individuals asking if I could raise the money. And some of those individuals, I must admit, I didn't know very well and I hadn't had the time or the opportunity to sit down and talk to them. But one of the, one of the people who I was approaching came back to me and they basically said exactly what James has said in this question. How can you assure me that you're not going to run off with my money? Now, the amount of money which he was putting forward was a relatively small amount of money. I think he was he was suggesting that he might be able to put 10 grand into the pot. I was raising a much larger sum and I was going to raise that sum off a number of individuals. He would have been a relatively minor JV partner in the scheme of things. But he said, how can you assure me that you're not going to run off with my money? And as I read that, I thought, you know what? You're probably not the sort of person who I should be doing a JV with if you even think that there is a possibility that I might run off with your money. Now, notice I'm talking about running off of the money. And you might be saying, well, Peter, well, you're just being a bit naive. Everybody's going to want some security. Yeah, absolutely. And we're all different personality types. But actually, that stung because I'm quite happy to say, you know, I don't know everything and I might make a mistake. And if I make a mistake, I might lose the money. Hopefully not. But I'm never going to run away with your money because that's not who I am. And if you think I'm the sort of person who could run away with your money, then I don't really want to do business with you. And so I said, that's fine. Don't worry about it. I'll find somebody else. And I think they're a bit taken aback by that, but it had to be said and it had to be done. So these are lots and lots of things that we need to be thinking about when we're doing JVs. JVs, by the way, are a fantastic way of financing your deals and making sure that you can do more than one deal. One of the big disadvantages of having any amount of money is that if you've got some money to start with, and, and I know I've said this in previous podcasts, but I think it's worth saying again because it's so true. If you have a sum of money, which is your money, which you can use, generally speaking, you'll become so focused on that sum of money that that will become in your mind the only money that you've got to use. Even if you're thinking about topping it up with sort of conventional bank finance, you're limiting yourself as to how much money you've got. If you think about the possibilities of JVs and how you can use JV finances to supplement the money you've got if you've got some. And if you haven't got any money, then you definitely want to be doing some kind of JV. And you can start by maybe sourcing deals. By the way, the old dilemma, again, I've talked about this on other podcasts, but let's go into that. Do you source the deal first or do you source the money first? Well, some trainers will say definitely source the money first because then when you go and find the deals, you know that you can actually fulfill and follow through. Others will say, just go out there and find both first. I must admit, I'm a bit more of a sort of a do both at the same time kind of guy. But if you had to choose one over the other, I'd probably say go and find the money first. Because when you know that you've got somebody who's backing you, then you can go and talk to the agents or property sources or to vendors. If you're going direct and you can look them in the eye and say, I can actually buy your property. I've got the finance arranged. Makes life a lot easier. So I definitely do that. But when I first started doing JVs, I didn't know any of this stuff. And I remember the very first JV, which I did, I, I think Progressive call it a three in a bed JV uh, from memory. 
And I don't want to go too much into that because that would be a bit weird because it actually involved a friend of mine and my mother. So if you're visual, don't let's not even go there. But it was called a three in a bed because this is the way that it worked. My friend had found a property which he knew that we could buy, we could renovate it and we could flip. But we didn't have any money. But he knew that my mother at the time, because my father had recently been uh, bereaved, my mum had been bereaved, my father had recently passed away. My mum had a bit of money which she needed to invest. She needed to get a return on her money. So he came to me and he said, look, if you can raise the finance, I'll do all the work around the, the refurb and then we'll sell the property and we'll split the profit. And I thought it was great. Now, I didn't know that was a JV. But it worked really well. My mother got a return on her money and my friend and myself, we had a go at doing a refurb. That was the very first refurb I ever did. I say I did. I didn't actually do anything. Well, I did a little bit. I remember still pulling some paper off the wall and scraping some Artex. By the way, horror of horrors now, looking back on it, because I don't know what was in that Artex, but I'm still here. So I'm guessing I was probably okay. But maybe that's a subject for another podcast. If you're wondering what I'm on about, it's because nowadays uh, there's a lot of sort of wariness about scraping Artex off walls and ceilings because that Artex could have asbestos in it. I didn't know that at the time. There we go. These things only come to light later in the day. But I'm OK, so don't worry about me. I think I'm OK anyway. So that was a great JV. And that whetted my appetite. My, my very next JV, I didn't cut my friend out, but my friend and myself, we're sort of doing our own thing and we hadn't been in touch for a while. And I found a property which I wanted to do, and I thought I'd do it on my own. So I, again, was able to tap into my mother's funds, and she was able to help me with that. Now, it makes me sound, to be honest, I'm a bit worried, you know, who's listening to this, they think I'm a bit sort of snotty and privileged, because, you know, my mother funds my property deals. Well, this is back in the dim and distant, and they were very minor deals, and sadly my mother has now passed away as well, so she's not funding anything. But, you know, it doesn't matter, whoever it is, it doesn't have to be your mother. Although if you've got a good relationship with your parents and they're able, that can be good. By the way, as a general point, older people are good JV partners because older people stereotypically, and I know this doesn't apply to everybody, but stereotypically older people are much more likely to be asset rich and cash poor, which means that they've got collateral They've got properties which you can borrow against if they're prepared to put them up as a security, then that's all well and good. And you can then give them a return. And a lot of older people, they may have the the capital, but they don't have the income. So you can provide them with the income. So there's a, a lot of synergy there. And that's why JVs with, you know, between younger people and older people works really well. So it's worth thinking about. But, you know, there's people out there, whether it's your mum or whether it's your friend or whether it's a complete stranger who just happens to like the cut of your jib and they trust you. There's people out there who will do JVs with you. One of the things which we so often hear, particularly when we're doing masterclass, is why would anybody want a JV with me? I don't do anything and I don't know anything. Well, get yourself educated so you do know something. Go on the courses. Come on masterclass. When you've done four days with us on masterclass, you're going to be able to look somebody in the eye and say, I know all about property investing. And so many people come on masterclass, for example, thinking, well, nobody would have a JV with me. And yet they have JV funds arranged and lined up even before they leave Masterclass because there's something we make you do on Masterclass, which maybe will flush out some of the cash that's lurking in your background. So there we go. There's a bit of an intrigue for you, a bit of a tease. But it happens all the time. So don't write yourself off. There are people who will definitely do JVs with you. Now, I just want to talk about one last thing which James has raised. He says, do they have a floating charge on the property, as in would the lender have a floating charge on the property? 
Well, I'm not sure about a floating charge. A floating charge is usually something which you'd usually sort of attach to a company, something like that. So let's just say, would they have a charge on the property? Well, again, I think it all depends on the lender. What do they want? Ask them what they want. Personally, I'm not sure I'd even at the beginning be offering a charge because for a lot of people, this can all sound very complicated. Um, it, again, it's about degree. It's about how big the deal is. It's about what we're trying to achieve. There's so many different things that come into this. One of the things you must bear in mind is that if at some point you're going to top up the JV funds with bank lending, for example, and if you're thinking, well, can you actually do that? Well, yeah, with a commercial conversion, something like that, you can do that. You need to make sure that there is no first charge on the property because a bank is going to want first charge. So if you have a JV lender, a JV partner who's lending, who comes along and says, well, Peter, I'll do the deal, but I must have a first charge on the property, you know that that's going to stop you being able to go to the bank and top the funds up. Now, if the whole point of the JV is for them to put a little bit in and for, the, for to go to the bank to get a lot more, you need to explain to the JV partner they can't have a first charge, but they could have a second charge. But if that's the case, you probably want to draw down the funds on the property first so that the bank got the first charge and then give them the second charge. Now, as long as you're being honest with the bank and open and transparent, they're not going to worry too much about that because, you know, first charge is first charge. What's that mean? Well, it means that if anything goes wrong with the property, whoever's got the first charge has first bite of the cherry when it comes to repossessing the asset and getting the money back. By the way, there are other levels of security though. And this is what, this is the point which I really want to make. Don't assume that you're always going to give somebody a charge because you could have a first charge, you could have a second charge, you could have a third or fourth charge if you wanted to. So that's all possible. But there are other things as well. There's a restriction, an RX1. A restriction, as the name sounds, it's exactly as it says on the tin, it restricts what the owner of the property can do. So a restriction will stop an owner of a property being able to sell it and it will stop the owner of a property being able to finance the property without the person who's got the benefit of the restriction, giving consent. So instead of giving them a charge, you could say, to them, look, I'm going to give you a restriction or would you accept a restriction? It's pretty much the same sort of thing. Now, the big difference between a restriction and a charge, as I understand it, and I'm not a solicitor, so if I'm talking at the back of my head, please forgive me, but this is my understanding. The big difference between a restriction and a charge is that a charge will allow you to repossess a property, whereas a restriction doesn't. But, you know, 99 times out of 100 or 999 times out of 1,000, a restriction is going to do the job you want it to do, or at least it's going to do the job that the lender who's lending you the money wants it to do, which is basically make sure that you don't run off with the money or that you don't sell the property from underneath them. You can't do that because you need their consent. So that's a much more straightforward way of giving them security. And a lot of JV partners will be quite happy they'll understand that. But you just need to talk to your JV partner. Find out what it is they want. Don't make any assumptions. I think the whole thing I'm trying to say here is don't make any assumptions. And certainly, and again, James, and I'm not, um, you know, hopefully I'm saying this in the right spirit. I'm trying to be helpful here and not, not make you feel that you've said something wrong. You certainly haven't said something wrong. That's a smart question. But I wouldn't get into the whole idea of sample and template JV agreements look at what you're trying to do and I'd get a blank piece of paper and a pen. It doesn't have to be very complicated, but start from scratch because then you know that everything you need to cover is covered. 
So there we go. I hope you found that helpful. Definitely think about doing JVs. If you haven't got any money or if you've only got a limited amount of money, or even if you've got loads of money, JVs are a great way of making sure that you can do property deals, bigger property deals, loads of property deals. You know, you'll get to a stage in property where you won't want to spend your own money. There are investors who are very well known to all of us. I'm not going to name any names. But when they do a deal nowadays, they don't use their own money. They always use JV funds. Why? Because they can. Why would you use your own money? Well, I guess when you're starting out and you've only got limited funds and you're trying to build credibility and you're trying to build trust, then it makes sense. And it may be that some JV partners may want you to have some skin in the game. So all of that can happen as well. But after time, when you have enough experience, when you've done enough deals, you'll find that you'll be able to finance all of all of your deals, 100% finance through JVs. And you can leave your money in the bank and you can spend your money on whatever it is you want to spend your money on. So there we go. I hope that that helped. James, that was a great question. James, if you haven't been on Masterclass, then please come along. If you have been on Masterclass, please forgive me because obviously I see so many people every month that, uh, you know, I can't keep up with all the names, but I'm sure that if we met down at Progressive HQ, I wouldn't know you. So thank you for that. And go out there and do it. Get out there. Get out there. So hope you've enjoyed this episode. I've been Peter, Peter Jones. If you want to know more about me, by the way, please come over to my website, www.thepropertyteacher.co.uk. Loads of free resources there. By the way, assuming this episode comes out early in the new year, which I'm sure it will be, then I've just put a, a special report up on my website this morning all about goal setting and how to set your goals and how to make sure that you succeed in property and all that kind of good stuff. There's other free resources on there as well and paid for resources. Have a look. There's also my blog, all kind of good stuff. But until next time, until the next Progressive Property Podcast, next week, hopefully you'll be tuning in. Until then, here's to successful property investing. (laughs) 